I have a story for you today that I think will stick with you in a good way. I know it did me. It's not the first time I've told this story. I have one other podcast where I mention it for a different reason. So I'm going to tell it in a slightly different way, but it so fits this because this is my fourth year without my mommy on a Mother's Day. So I want to record this to honor her life. It's a story of the most amazing thing actually that I've ever personally witnessed. And I've been given permission by the two people in this story to tell it. In 1983, my dear mama was down on her knees, begging and pleading to what atheists sometimes call her imaginary friend. Um, Parenting had put her through the ringer, and her prayer this time was that her adopted juvenile delinquent son would, for his own good, meet his biological family. That's asking quite a lot of an imaginary friend, right? Especially considering that the world population at the time was about 4.8 billion. I mean, literally, she was asking God to help my brother meet one in 4.8 billion. I mean, those are some odds, right? But there she was, this naive, old school, Bible thumping Jesus lover who the world would say would have done a lot better to hire a private detective. But there she is on her knees. And she put an ad in the paper in his birth city. And alas, though, it was all silent. And day after day, she begged God. There my dear brother was smoking a cigarette next to another resident when someone walked past. And of all the observations in the world noted, you two look like you could be brothers. And so they're all laughing it off. And he's like, no, 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 look at you. You guys look like you could be brothers. He kept insisting. And so like the topic could have died there. But the thing is, my mother had prayed. She had prayed not to an imaginary friend, as some are desperate to believe, but to the creator of the universe, the one that controls the universe and has worked odds worlds beyond 4.8 billion when he put thousands of necessary ingredients perfectly into place to sustain life on this unthinkably complex planet. So here's how the conversation continues. He goes, yeah, well, I have an older brother and a sister and a brother that was given up for adoption in 1960 so-and-so and and then he names the town this other smoker says casually and my brother goes I was born in he mentions the same city in Oregon on July blankety blank of the same year my brother in disbelief it was jaw-dropping to make a long story short all involved were contacted including the children's services division who opened the records and made the confirmation that these two young men were indeed blood brothers but there was an even more life-altering confirmation that day the confirmation that to the defiant is the world's most inconvenient truth and that is God exists so I want to invite you today to take a glimpse into the story of a life well lived a woman that can pray this kind of prayer and God listens I'm hoping that it will inspire you to see your own life in a different way On April 18th, 2017, I moved my mother into a rehabilitation center in Kaiser, Oregon. While I was unpacking her things to some swing music to try to keep her spirits up, she spoke a five-word sentence. She said, I want to be good. 
She had said something similar in response when my dad left her after four decades of marriage. She said her plan for managing that pain was the advice that she had read in the scriptures that her goal was to keep her behavior excellent. I think perhaps every person that attended her memorial may have had a touching story of something my mother said or did to turn them toward God's light. So the question becomes, what do we do with that kind of inner beauty we had all witnessed? It was like watching the most beautiful sunset of your life. And by that, I mean, it's not enough to feel and say, wow, God wants us to move from wow to wow, there's a God and I want to be close to him and his beauty. And the goal of my podcast today is to inspire every soul listening to hunger for righteousness by telling you the story of a woman who overcame because you can too. Overcoming is what she would have wanted for you because that's what God wants for you. So her name was Lucy, and that name is related to the moon. It means shining light in the darkness, which I felt was so, so appropriate. She was more than a spunky little Southern woman. She was so energetic that she stated more than once to me that she didn't even learn to walk till she was 30 because she pretty much ran up until that point. In her youth, her boss at the dry cleaning business adored her, but stayed out of her way, she said, to keep from getting plowed into sacrificial my mother practically ran an orphanage for the down and outs she encouraged and counseled throughout the years lucy was exceptionally others centered and day after day put others interests ahead of her own she said she gave up oil painting so she could focus on raising her children She was an attentive mother, but gave me so much freedom and never controlled or smothered me. If I called her from school with a wardrobe malfunction, she would remember what it felt like to be 13 and show up at Judson Junior High School with a fresh pair of pantyhose. She gave up time all day, every day for the well-being of others. She was easily contented. Lucy Lilliam was genuinely happy for the success of everyone around her. Dorothea was her closest lifelong companion, that is her sister-in-law. And Dorothea was beautiful enough in her youth to be hired as a model. But she gave up that career, she told me once, when she was asked to compromise her Christianity. So besides physical beauty, Dorothea also was much more materially blessed than my mother would ever be. But because my mother was entirely incapable of envy, she was able to fully enjoy the companionship of her gifted and godly sister in Christ. Uh, So yeah, easily contented. My mother enjoyed even her cannery work. Because she said the whole shift, her hands would do the work. She would go on trips to Memphis and anywhere I want, she said. So unlike most women, she was entirely bored with shopping because she never craved a bigger or better anything. Her eyes were wide open to the fact that even on a postal worker's salary, she lived in human history during a time of unparalleled privileges just by being born when and where she was. If you knew her, she would repeatedly exclaim, I am so rich. 
So she was at her happiest learning and teaching spiritual realities and pulling weeds in her garden and somehow with dad provided magical Christmases on a blue collar budget. She was super diligent. My mother's diligence were in the area of the spiritual and physical needs of her family. I would come home from school and all the furniture would be removed from the kitchen and the family room because she had just waxed the floor. Her diligence at the cannery actually even paid for my wedding. And she could do what seemed impossible, grow okra and make a cotton plant bloom in Oregon. Most importantly, it meant that she eagerly anticipated gathering with church family and had us there every time spiritual nourishment was being offered. My mother was curious. She was fascinated with biblical archaeology and read National Geographic and the Archaeological Review magazines. Six years into my marriage, my mother and husband bucked the stereotypical idea of tension between in-laws and went off for three weeks together to tour the Bible lands. All throughout her remaining years, they reminisced about it, and I loved their close bond rooted in her having taught him the gospel. My mother, Lucy Lillian, was curious. She would often look through her telescope to try to understand astronomy and read all of those 1970s self-improvement books like Psycho-Cybernetics or The Power of Positive Thinking and so forth. But by her 40s, she had tired of man's faulty wisdom and felt only Holy Spirit-inspired writing worthy of her time and focus. If you're listening and you're someone who met my mother, I don't have to tell you that she was animated and interesting, which made her a great conversationalist. In fact, I found her so interesting that we would talk on the phone for hours and hours. And in the summer of 2015, I recorded almost nine hours of our phone conversation as I interviewed her and asked her all kinds of questions. And often my mother would hang up, I mean, all throughout my childhood, before she'd hang up the phone, she'd go, okie doke, bye-bye. Lucy Lillian was determined. She learned sign language in her 40s so that she could try to change the eternity of a deaf girl named Vana, signing to her God's truth. Another example of her determination was the summer that she did battle with a mole that was wrecking havoc in her beloved garden. After interviewing friends and trying some of their techniques, in the end, she took care of business by lounging the day away, sitting in a folding chair in a summer hat, most likely drinking a diet tab and blowing the mole into fertilizer with a shotgun. Lucy Lillian was spiritual to the point that she had very little interest in the other things that many women enjoy. Instead, mom just loved people and showed hospitality. And so her version of hospitality was to have you come in without knocking, you know, maybe check out the food in the fridge and then just follow her around the house while she did her work so that you could have a good talk while she got her work done. My mom was most of all disinterested in the approval or acceptance of other human beings. If such acceptance required her to compromise God's word, she was entirely disinterested and unimpressed by human power or prestige because she was a fangirl of only one, her Lord. And she showed her love by reading his word every day and pouring out her heart to him. 
My mom was extroverted and fun. In the 1970s, I would blare my record albums in full volume from my last bedroom on the left. Down the hall, sometimes it'd be the Doobie Brothers. Sometimes it would be Elton John or the Eagles or Electric Light Orchestra or Boston. But my mother and I had an understanding. If I put on Stevie Wonder's song, I Wish, that was her cue to drop her busy life because the dance party was starting in my bedroom and only she was invited. My mother was hilarious and used her humor in the best possible way to build a rapport with the world around her. She often talked to people like they had always known each other, which over and over again put her on the fast track to a closeness with people. And she even did this with the nurses at OHSU, pointing to their badges and asking, what about you? I saw her time and again using that skill to open hearts and to help people make a beautiful life. I loved sharing my mom with the world and even in my teen years would proudly hold her hand while we would grocery shop. I mean, speaking of extroverted and fun, once when I thought I was experienced the single luckiest day of my life when my mother was picking up this neighborhood boy hitchhiking whom I had a huge crush on. But then my mom and her best friend, Rietta Jones, who were both really excited about this new musical that had just come out, sang as loudly and as enthusiastically as they possibly could every excruciating song that they could remember from Fiddler on the Roof while I cowered in the back seat. She was so extroverted that even in her 70s, she won a dance contest, the only way a discreet Christian woman could win a contest, and that is without leaving her chair. <laughs> Lucy was confident when I was in labor with my firstborn, no visitors were allowed. So she walked head up, through the forbidden double doors to come and check on me, smiling and looking at the doctors and nurses as she passed confidently, like she owned the place. Another example of my mother's confidence was a big earthquake happened in 2001. We called my mother-in-law, who said that she thought that perhaps a nuclear bomb had gone off in Portland. But when I called my mom, she said she felt it, but rolled over in bed and thought to herself, huh, an earthquake, and then went back to sleep. The last story of confidence happened when I was 15 and dating a young organist in the Mormon church. When my boyfriend and his mother and I arrived home after an all-day outing, we were all sitting around the living room, and for the spiritual well-being of everyone in the room, my mother pulls out from behind her chair a chart that she had made on white poster board with red ink of, on one side, what the Bible says, contrasted with what, on the other side, the Book of Mormon says. She was not afraid of confrontation if she knew that it could do a soul a lot of good. She was confident, but yet she was humble. I mean, we did not agree on everything. And we talked the things out that we disagreed on. In fact, we both invited one another's help thinking through things with zero ego at stake. When it was discovered whose understanding aligned with the truth, both of us were genuinely grateful for having been corrected by the other. There was no saving face because what would be the point of that? We were not in competition. We were on the same team. Only God is right always. And we were comfortable with that. And her humbleness kept her forever teachable. Humility is beautiful. My mom was very loving. And when you hear me say that she loved all people, this is not the kind of love that says, 
I love you, so I'll help you feel comfortable about your own self-destruction. When I say she loved people, what I'm saying is that she loved people enough to have the difficult conversations for their good. And let's be honest, this alone is genuine love. My mother and I labored alongside each other for 41 years in our common faith in the kingdom of God and got through the good fight by way of long phone conversations when we would clean and bandage each other's emotional battle wounds. Again, my mother was very loving. The last use of her cancerous vocal cords before she was wheeled away for surgery was to tell me that she loved me. And her own mother-in-law had died in her arms. There are so many stories of love within Lucy's life. My mother passed to me a piece of wisdom that I'll pass to you today. And that is this. The faster you and I face the coldest, hardest realities in life, the sooner you and I will make that adjustment because really only the truth can set you free. The loss of her vocal cords was one of those cold, hard realities that she faced. I mean, I thought her enemy Satan had removed forever her ability to communicate the truths that had rescued so many souls. But after her vocal cords were removed and she had a newer, stranger voice, everyone just listened more politely and patiently to what the little old woman with the sparkly smile face on her throat prosthesis was struggling to tell them. So by a smiley face sticker, every day she would choose the color of smiley face that would match her outfit. And so sometimes children would notice and would ask her, what's that on your throat? She would say, that's my button. My voice was broken and the doctor fixed it. My mother was resilient and used her setbacks to connect even better with people. All of this bouncing back made my brother say, she's 10 feet tall and bulletproof. My mother was also very forgiving. Like the prodigal father at the end of the dusty road, my mother was always waiting and waiting and waiting for souls, those souls that she loved, to submit to the written words of Jesus so that she could receive them back with open arms. My mother was bold. She was always at the living room trying to save and restore souls to first century New Testament Christianity. She was always open to changing upon learning more truth and made me promise in my teens to have no allegiance to her understanding of the scriptures, but to trust God's word alone for all answers to every spiritual question. God has all the answers was her mantra, if there ever was one. I mean, she visited all kinds of denominations of the souls that she studied with and even trusted me to do the same. But neither of us ever found churches that walked as closely to the words of the Good Shepherd than the Church of Christ. Sometimes I remember when she would see misinformed missionaries on their bicycles, she would kind of pat her heart with affection and say, you just can't help but love them. But if they were sitting at her table and she's putting the scriptures in front of them, she would be bold enough to follow them out the door if they just jumped up and said, like, oh, we're done with this. You know, you're running from the truth. You're running from the truth. If she were here today, she would say, friends, ask yourself, are you running from the truth? Don't run from the truth. The truth will make you free. 
This woman wants you and I to save ourselves from this crooked and perverse generation. She would say, if you are in a broken relationship, apologize and restore your relationship today. Life is too short to be in a frustrating marriage when a fulfilling one might be only four vulnerable conversations, six compromises, or one or two prideful hearts away. Lucy wants you to know all things are possible with God. If you've attached yourself to people who bring out the worst in you, who make you want to do evil things, Lucy Peak wants you to be brave enough to admit you have an eternal soul and run as hard and as fast as you can the other direction. Lucy Peak would have me say, if you would want to honor her life, that you could do so not by flowers at her graveside, but by overcoming your own destructive addictions. I would love you to meet my mother someday. If you want to see Lucy Peak, and more importantly, the glorious face of your creator in the afterlife, Stop lying to yourself and other people. After death, your eternal existence is unchangeable. Hell is too hot and eternity too long to play fast and loose with the grace of God. She'd encourage you to stick closer to the Good Shepherd and listen to the written words daily to learn how to fix your life, how to fix your church, how to fix our broken country, and even this troubled planet. I mean, sin ruins everything. Virtue, as only God defines it, is the answer when you read your Bible daily. Don't cherry pick the parts that are convenient or comforting. If you are in his word daily and not cherry picking it and are pouring out your heart to him and your relationship with him is real, but if you're still having a hard time tapping into your joy, I have a story, Lucy's story, my favorite one that I hope will inspire you. So keep in mind the back, some background of this story. She had lost, remember, her father when she was 14 and her mother when she was 30. In her 40s, at the height of raising rebellious teenagers in the turbulent 60s and 70s, her painful rheumatoid arthritis was beginning to disfigure her lovely little extremities. In her 60s, my dad left her and then I nursed her through a mastectomy. Three years later, she lived with us while I nursed her through throat cancer. A few years after that, her only sibling and her husband were violently murdered. Okay, so all of that had happened and so it's like the early 90s sometime. A lot of that had happened in short succession. And I was her listening ear during all of this. And I just watched with jaw-dropping awe at the sustaining faith that I was witnessing before my eyes. So one winter night, she and I are quietly sitting in my living room. And she's like recalling, we're walking through all of those losses. And it gets kind of quiet and we're both kind of contemplating and there's some soft music playing in the background. You know, it's kind of glowy from our Christmas tree. And then she says something that will stick with me for the rest of my life. She said, you know, honestly, I think I'm about as happy as I've ever been in my entire life. I mean, 
what do you do with that? <laughs> what do you learn from that? Those words are so empowering and they're super great news. And here's why. If you and I walk close enough to the good shepherd, no one, no thing, no circumstance can touch our quiet joy. Apart from God, we can do nothing. But with him, we experience a peace that passes understanding. My mother wasn't perfect. I mean, she worried. She worried almost exclusively, though, about the souls around her that she loved. She worried for their well-being. I was with her all the years that she cried over the souls that she loved and poured herself into, but were lost. And as I close this podcast, she would have me say this, you can overcome anything through the strength that God supplies. Your fresh start is just one unwavering decision away. At the end of her life, Lucy Lillian's desire to be good was accomplished. She was still good. And because of the grace and the mercy of God's goodness and the blood of Christ, she now rests apart from us, pain-free, and as carefree as a newborn baby in Abraham's bosom. I loved Lucy Peak. The virtues that she chose to live out that were listed in this little memorial of her are a few of the things that made her so exceptionally lovable. I would encourage you to follow her example. Make the sacrifices necessary in your life to be good and to be a light in the darkness. A light in the darkness went out in this world at 8.40 p.m. December 26th. 2017. The world needs more lights. Be the light.